Um, so this morning, uh, we have the great pleasure uh, and honor to hear from one of our good friends, one of the good friends of CF, one of my good friends. Um, when God puts people together, it's amazing, and uh, he knows what he's doing, and I am very thankful because he's not up here yet, and I don't know why, I'm just going to talk about how much I love you. Um, Pastor Q is uh, a, like I said, a wonderful friend of CF, a wonderful friend of mine. When I first came to CF, he immediately reached out um, and continues to just let me hang out with him and learn from him and grow. And he is wise and encouraging and speaks truth, uh, but does so with love and care and wants to see the gospel before he wants to see Chicago grow and thrive in the gospel. Um, and he is a man that I very much love and respect. Uh, so, Pastor uh, you want you come up? Let's give him a round of applause for
means for us. So we struggle to define it, we struggle to understand it. And what I'm going to do is show you the Sabbath in Scripture in four different places and show us what the Bible says the Sabbath is in relation to the entirety of salvation history. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you are holy and perfect, good in every single way. And as if that's not enough, you give to us in such great abundance. You give us your love, your grace, your mercy. You instill in us a sense of justice and purpose. And if that's not enough, you've given us Jesus. And so we're thankful for you. We're thankful for what you've done. We're thankful for who you are. And we're thankful for who you made us. Help us to understand your word in a new way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So when we're first introduced to the Sabbath, we find it in Genesis 2. But before we jump into our text, I want us to just think about what we normally associate the Sabbath with and how we even define it. For most of us, when we hear, when we hear that word Sabbath, our mind automatically turns to rest. We work five to six days a week. And then on the seventh day, we need a day of rest. Generally, we rest because we're tired. We rest because we need sleep. But the question we have to ask ourselves, is that why we really rest? Do we really rest because we're tired? Most of us think we spend the majority of our life working. Long days, long hours. We work so much, we're so tired that we need to rest. Would you be surprised if I told you that the majority of our life is spent sleeping? You know that a third of our lives we spend sleeping. By the time we hit 20 years old, that's you guys soon, so listen up. By the time you guys hit 20 years, you'll have slept almost eight years of your life. start out that you were a baby, then a toddler, then you're in grammar school, some high school, and maybe even some college, and you realize how much you actually slept during that time. By the time you're 30, you will have slept between 10 and 11 years of your life. So there's a little slowdown, and that's prim primarily because in our 20s, we think we're invincible. We stay up all night, we go out, whole different lifestyle, and so... There's a little less sleep. But by the time you hit 60 years old, you will have slept 20 to 21 years of your life. I was a little surprised when I did a little research into that and found out exactly how much of our lives we sleep. But guys, this is where it's really beneficial for us. You realize that because of this, you get to tell your wives when they complain about not spending enough time with you. They're like, what are you talking about? We spend a minimum of eight hours a day. Minimum together. Now, I'm kidding. 
guys, don't use that or you will find those eight hours alone on a couch someplace. So don't use that as an example of how to spend some time together. But based on how much we sleep and rest, do we need to reconsider what the Sabbath is and what it means? The Bible tells us things about rest and why God created rest. And not just created rest, but he actually mandates rest. But if we slept, if we've slept so much of our lives, what exactly are we resting from? Most of us would answer pretty obviously. We rest from work. That's why we rest. And it's actually even clear in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he had rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So, when the work of creation was done, God rested. He made the seventh day, he blessed it, he made it holy, and he rested. If we think about that in relation to rest, we have to ask the question of why did God rest? Was he tired? I mean, does God even get tired? Well, you guys know the answer to that. Of course he doesn't get tired. So if God wasn't tired, then why would he rest? I think that's the question that brings this whole sermon about. We're going to look at a couple other passages to see exactly what it says about the Sabbath, this concept of a day of rest. So first in Genesis 2, the concept of the Sabbath is introduced. And do you realize that it's never brought up again? I shouldn't say never. But it's a good 400 years before the Sabbath is brought up again. We see that in Exodus chapter 20. In verse 11. And again in Deuteronomy 5 verse 13. Now these two verses address the Sabbath and why the Sabbath is brought about. The first case is the giving of the law. The first time it happens is when God gives the law to Moses in Exodus chapter 20. And then, then again, it's reiterated in Deuteronomy 5, which is the last year that the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness after being freed from slavery and captivity. So we have Genesis 2 that introduces the concept of the Sabbath, Exodus 20, the original giving of the law, where it's instituted, and then in Deuteronomy 5, which I'm not sure if you guys know, but Deuteronomy 5 is just a recap of the law that was given in Exodus 20. After all the wandering, God kind of says, let's remind you of what I told you before. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, it says this. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is, is them, all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in Exodus chapter 20, the reason, he says, is because in six days God made the heavens and the earth, and he was commemorating the creation account. It's the first reason for the Sabbath day that God made was because of creation. And then in Deuteronomy 5, we actually have a different reason for the Sabbath. In verse 13 it says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that the male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Within that passage, it tells us what this means. God is saying, remember, you were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. But God intervened. God rescued. God brought you out. God is taking you to the land of Canaan that he promised you, where you will be a nation who will fulfill the destiny that's for you. And he says, therefore, remember the Sabbath day. So in Exodus 20, we have a Sabbath to commemorate creation. And in Deuteronomy 5, the Sabbath is there to commemorate salvation. Now, both of these things, creation and salvation, were entirely and exclusively the work of God in their lives. Creation, accomplished by the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, completely unaided by anyone else. They created everything. And the Sabbath is a reminder of our complete reliance and dependence on the work of God so that we are fully aware of our limitations. And then in Exodus, we see that the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt was a work that was completely done alone and unaided by God. If you look at Exodus 3, when God met Moses at the burning bush and told Moses he was going to send Moses back into Egypt to lead the Israelites out, God spoke about himself entirely. God says, I have heard their cry. I have seen their distress. I have come down. I will rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. I will take them to the land flowing with milk and honey. That passage is I, 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 over and over again. God was making it abundantly clear that the work to be done was his. He was the one who was going to lead the Israelites out. And the release of Israel from Egypt is literally a picture of the salvation that's spoken of 
in the New Testament. It's retold several times in the New Testament as an example of what salvation is. These two issues, creation and salvation, were the reason for the Sabbath day. It was to remember that you are to live your life in total and complete dependence on what God has done exclusively in history and in all of our lives. You are to rest in the fact that it is his work, his strength, and his sufficiency alone. When we see the Sabbath mentioned in these two instances, there's no mention of it having any physical benefit, but we know it does. We need to rest. It's mentioned as a pointer to the completed and finished work of God. It's resting in the strength and the sufficiency of God. That's why the commandment to observe the Sabbath was actually given. When we look ahead into the New Testament, we see that the Sabbath has a really interesting record. Jesus did not keep the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, Jesus not keeping the Sabbath was one of the things that the religious leaders and Pharisees had a tremendous issue about. In John 9, verse 16, it says, Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now we know that there are several instances in the New Testament where the religious leaders stretched the law. They built some extra things around the Sabbath. And Jesus intentionally broke all of those. Jesus did not keep the Sabbath. And here's another shocker. He never affirmed the Sabbath. See, the positive statements he made about the Sabbath was when him and his disciples were being criticized for picking wheat on the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 2, they were picking and eating and making a meal which was explicitly forbidden in Sabbath law. They just grabbed some wheat, rubbed it in their hands, blew away the chaff and ate the grain. And Jesus responds to the Pharisees by saying this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, what Jesus wanted everyone to hear and know is that the Sabbath was not your master. But instead, the Sabbath was made for your benefit. It was made to teach you, not master you. It was made for you. Paul actually talks about the Sabbath Twice, And in both cases, he also does not affirm it in the way the Old Testament does. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, do not let anyone judge you. And then he lists a bunch of things that people were judging each other by, by what you eat. People were judging one another over food. I just think it's really interesting. Let me just do a quick little sidebar here. 
after 2,000 years, we're still participating in that foolishness. Any of you have a friend, or maybe you are a vegetarian, refuse to eat meat? And most meat eaters are real jerks about it. You don't eat meat? Well, I'm going to eat two steaks because of you. Paul is warning them 2,000 years ago, don't judge one another over what people eat. And 2,000 years later, we're still doing the same thing. I don't care if the world's doing it. I have a problem when the church is doing it. Paul explicitly states, there's so much important stuff. Why are you fighting about who eats beans and who eats corn dogs? This is ridiculous. Christians, don't get involved in that. That's nonsense. It does nothing for the kingdom. As a matter of fact, it goes explicitly against what scripture told you. Don't judge one another over what you eat. Uh-oh. Or what you drink. Hey, if you're a person who abstains from alcohol, praise the Lord. That's awesome. If you're a person who doesn't and yet can do it responsibly, also praise the Lord. Don't judge one another. It's clear. Do not be the guy that sits there and goes, I can't believe I saw a Christian having a glass of wine. That's ridiculous. Or the other way. You know, I find this personally because, you know, I, I don't know if you know this. I have a couple tattoos. You know what happens to me often? People without tattoos will come up to me and go, why do you have tattoos? I have never once walked up to a person without tattoos and say, you need to get some tattoos. Don't judge one another over some of these things that have no eternal consequence. You know that they were fighting over some other ridiculous things that Paul addresses in here. Religious festivals. You know they fought over the moon? Whether or not to have a celebration over the new moon or not? What are we arguing about? What are we fighting about? Why does this even matter? Paul goes on in Romans chapter 14 and talks about some of these things, these disputable matters, things that are unclear. Our normal tendency is we want to know what's black and white, what's right and wrong. Just clearly define the lines. Right? That's what we want. Like, you've got rules? Just lay them out to us. I want to follow the rules. That's not true. We generally say, hey, can you offer me, can you tell me the rules so I know how far I can go without crossing them? That's really our attitude. By the way, I'm talking to you guys, especially. Right? Parents tell you bedtime's at 10 o'clock. At 9.59, you're like, can I get another 15 minutes? See, you're not trying to be obedient. You're trying to find out how far can I push the line. And adults, you're not off the hook. You do the exact same thing. But officer, I was only driving two miles over the limit. I mean, right? See, because that's what we want. We want, give me the clear lines so that I can now go, how close can I get to that line? Or once I get over that line, it's not that bad, right? Because I just barely broke it. So we act like we want the rules. And Paul's saying, no, you don't. What you want to do is be hypocrites and pick on people. That's what he's saying in, verse, in, in chapter 14 of Romans, verses 1 through 6. Paul says, there's a lot of these things that are disputable. Don't fight over them. In fact, he says, accept him whose faith is weak 
without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak only eats vegetables. Now, Paul isn't anti-veganism here. He's basically, what he's trying to get at is, is don't make this an issue. Don't act like you're holy and pure because you follow the rules. Paul is making the opposite argument. He's saying the reason why you follow the rules is because you're weak. Now, I'm not telling you all to go out and break rules. That's not what this is about. I'm saying don't let that be the excuse. Don't be the one who's like, well, God saved me. I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. No, you cannot. You cannot. This concept that we have of freedom is so misguided and so misunderstood. We say things like, here in the USA, I'm free to do whatever I want. No, you're not. You're free as long as you don't break the law. You're free to go everywhere, anywhere you want as long as you don't trespass. You're free to work any job you want as long as it's not an illegal one. You're free within the confines of how we determine freedom. And Paul is saying the exact same thing. Christian, you are free to do what you want that doesn't violate God's holiness, his purity, his goodness. Yes, yes, there is a list of laws. And yes, we should be obedient to them. It doesn't give you the right to do whatever you want. To whoever you want. How about that? Paul in verse 14, in chapter 14 of Romans is making this reference to the Sabbath day. And he says, each one should be convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And he goes into this issue a little more. And he's kind of saying that there's this indifference to the question of the Sabbath. Don't let anyone judge you over the Sabbath. Don't let anyone, you know, judge you over one of these disputable matters. Paul is making the case that the one who is adamant about following the law the one who is still living by the law, is actually the weaker brother. The weaker brother is the one who's not free to do some of these things. See, because if your relationship with God isn't real seven days a week, it doesn't matter if it's real just one day a week. We need to be the people of God all the time, not just some days. Definitely not just on Sunday. We need to look at really what the Sabbath is all about. If Paul says, don't judge anyone about the Sabbath, then we have to ask ourselves, what is the meaning and what's the purpose? Well, I think we find that answer in Hebrews chapter 4. It comes to its fullness in Hebrews 4, 9. It says this, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the, God, for the people of God. What is this Sabbath rest? Well, thankfully, Scripture answers it in verse 10. Anyone who enters God's rest 
also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. See, Paul is really communicating to us that this Sabbath thing, this Sabbath is not a physical thing. See, anyone can observe a physical outward law. But it says we need to enter God's rest, resting in his sufficiency and his strength. So if we go back to Exodus 20, back to the law, the Sabbath was given because God rested on the seventh day. And I've asked this question before. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Was it because he was tired after six days of doing some hard creating? You know, he made the world. And then he was like, I need to sit down. I need a break. God was like, whew, that was so tiring. You know what I need? A day off. Scripture does not tell us that God rested because he was tired. Scripture tells us that God rested because the work was finished. It says that. It says he was finished. So then why were they called to rest in Deuteronomy 5? Because God had delivered them out of Egypt. You are resting in the fact that the journey that we are on is one which is destined by God, determined by God, and to be fulfilled by God. As a matter of fact, on that journey, they knew that they were going to come across some enemies. There were seven nations that inhabited the land of Canaan, spread over 45 cities. All of these cities, all of these nations had armies. The Israelites just came out of slavery. They were basically a nomadic tribe, and they didn't have any weapons. I don't know if you guys remember this, but they sent in some spies when they got to Canaan, or when they approached Canaan. And the spies came back and they said, yeah, this ain't going to work. They're too powerful. We don't stand a chance against them. Joshua and Caleb basically responded and said, you guys are right. We don't have a chance against them. But God sure does. God can win this. God will give them to us into our own hands. And they have to be like, look, hold on. There's a spiritual concept to this, and there's an actual practical concept to this. If you just sit there and think that we're going to march in there and defeat them, we're all going to die. They didn't end up going in. But then they were reminded of this. This is a work of God. You go in, and God will settle the issue. God will give you victory. It's not what you do for him. It's what he does for you. And so take a Sabbath on this. Rest in that. Take a Sabbath because God created rest in his finished work. Take a Sabbath because God is your deliverer. Rest in his sufficiency. Rest in his finished work. And that's why our passage says, make every effort to enter into his rest. Here's a temptation that we all have to be independent from God instead of being dependent on God. This is a thing that we need to do. We need to discipline ourselves. We need to tell ourselves, no, I am going to trust him. 
I am going to rest in him. That's a disciplined response as we go through life. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed every day. How? Where does that strength come from? That strength comes from resting in God. Now I'm going to start kind of wrapping this whole thing up and hopefully you guys have been following what I've been saying. I want to take us back to Genesis 2 really quick. Talk about what God says about rest here. God says to Adam, you've got some responsibilities. You need to work the garden. You need to take care of the garden. But you're going to do so out of rest. You see, for Adam, he was created on the sixth day. For God, the seventh day was a day of rest. But for Adam, it was his first day. See, God worked and rested. Adam came and rested. See, this is where we get things so messed up. We need physical rest. There's no doubt about it. But here's the big difference. We work out of rest. See, in our warped minds, we think that what we're supposed to do is work to rest. Right? Start on Monday. We go to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And our attitude is this, finally the weekend. I get time off. I get to rest. I get to be rejuvenated. I get to, in a sense, start all over again. No, we're wrong about that. God worked and then rested. Adam was created into rest. You realize that the first day of his existence was a day of rest for Adam. Adam didn't work to rest. He worked out of rest. And I really, really hope you guys are following the, the significant nuance of that. How many of you guys, oops, I almost started walking. How many of you guys work all week looking forward to the weekend to rest and recover? I appreciate your honesty. Oh, we got two honest people. That's what most of us do. We're looking forward to the weekend. Here's the problem. Is when we do that, we're actually under the impression that our work is finished. No. God worked. He finished. We work from a place of rest. It's no mystery why Sunday is the first day of the week. The day of rest. You are to take what you get on Sunday and carry it through you for the week. That doesn't mean you're not going to be tired. That doesn't mean that physically you're not going to be spent. It's a reminder to you of your dependence on the one who finished the work, not you and your ability to work. See, 
if we don't get this right, we will always think that we have to do more, that we have to work harder, that we have to get it done right. And the problem is, is no matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, you will never enter into rest until you realize that the work is done, finished by God for you. Imagine if our attitudes were, were changed. Oh, by the way, here's something that I think is interesting. For those of you who are hardcore, I follow the law, I want rules, I want this. God told you to work six days and on the seventh rest. Big problem in our culture. Most of us work five. Oh, and by the way, there's a huge push to change that to four. You Pharisees, how dare you? Unless you realize that you work from a place of rest. Heck, get a job that lets you work two days a week. That would be fantastic. See, you never have to think, I've got to do more. I've got to just get this task done. I've got to accomplish this. I have to do more so God will love me. God says, you can never do enough for my love. My son is the only one who did enough for my love. Rest in him, find my love. Rest in him and find my grace. Rest in him and find my mercy. We get weak. We get tired. And it reminds me of the story of Gideon back in Judges 6. Gideon is ready to go into battle. He's ready to fight. But he was terrified. He was scared. And God says to him, go in the strength that you have. The strength that you have. And Gideon says, but I don't have any strength. I'm the weakest person in this entire family. I'm the weakest person probably in this army. But God says, go in the strength that you have. And Gideon had to be thinking, what, what strength? I just told you I'm the weakest person here. And God says, see, I'll be with you. Go in the strength that you have. I am your strength. Did you ever realize that in Scripture, we are never told to ask God for strength? How many of us are guilty of that prayer? Lord, give me strength. I do it all the time. Sorry. I always ask God, God, I just need strength to make it through the day. I just need strength to get this done. And God's like, you have my strength. Why would I give you more of your strength? Gideon, you're the weakest. Why are you asking? You have me. I am your strength. You have me. I am your Sabbath. You work out of me, not for me. Do you realize the importance of that distinction? 
You know, our culture is driven by works. You want to get noticed at school? Get better grades. That means you have to work harder. Then once you're done with that, you get a job, you want promotions? Work harder. Do more. Do this. Do that. Do this. Do this. Yeah, that's absolutely, incredibly exhausting. And when you get to the age that I'm at, I'm way old. Seriously. Look at my gray beard. Way old. There comes a point where you realize, I will never, ever get it done. I will never be finished. I will never achieve enough. And then you stop and you realize that God already did it for you. And so I don't have to worry about, does God see me? Does God recognize me? Is God going to reward me? Is God going to look down and say, hey, Q, good job. You finally did enough. No, he will never do that. And you know, that's such a great relief. That is an incredible burden that's lifted off that I do not have to earn what God gives me freely. Gideon realized that God was his strength, that God was his rest. And because of that, victory came. Genesis, we're told that this Sabbath day isn't literally a day, but it's something that we live. This seventh day is ongoing. We are in this place of rest and trust because God finished the work. So that's where I can tell you, relax. God's done it. God is sufficient. God is enough. Start from a position of rest, not of work. We rest in the finished work of Christ. We can only find true rest in him. We find everything that we need in the one who did and gave and promised. Everything that we've been given by God is sufficient and we're able to rest in his wisdom and his strength. So for you who are feeling just like you're at your wit's end, like you just are about to fall apart, or you just can't do it anymore, I really hope you hear me when I say, just relax. You have found rest in the Lord, and that's all you need. That's sufficient. Live the rest of your life in his rest, in his Sabbath.